Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brand. And this episode, we're discussing SST 110, our first LP by Crazy Backwards Alphabet. And I, I think it's their only release that we'll cover on the whole podcast. Is that right? Like all of our episodes? Yep, for sure. Yeah, and we've got a special guest, Brent. Yeah, we've got Andy West on the podcast. Yeah, great guy, great interview. Yeah. Um, probably my favorite part of that interview is how surprised he was to learn what we're actually doing <laughs> on this podcast. But he's like, are you going from zero to like hundreds on this show? And we're like, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, he was, years in. he was a great guy. Yeah, totally. Real pleasure to have him on. And uh, for a bass player like myself, it was uh, a, a real a real treat to kind of hear him talk about slinging the six string as well, too. Yeah. Brant, do you have any spiels to start us off? Yeah, I've got a few minor spiels. Little SST news. Saw an interview go up uh, with this online zine. Looks like they actually are or were at some point a physical zine. Uh, it's called Dagger Zine. And it's uh, daggerzine at tumblr.com or dot tumblr.com. I'm not sure which. Uh, this guy, Tim Hinley, he had an interview with Ray Farrell. And he talks a bit about um, the Raymond Pettibone Super Session project that they've been working yeah. on for a while. Ray plays yeah, bass yeah. on that. Ray Farrell. He says in the interview, We are nearly finished with the album that we recorded at Casa Hanzo the San Pedro studio Mike Watt owns with Pete Mazich. I hope to have the album finished in July. We'll look out for that one. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, Ryan, and I know you, you read this book and you and I were texting a little bit about it, but I finished that flea book, Acid for the Children. Right. Now, I will say that you bought the, you know, the old school book version of it, and I bought, oh, yeah. I bought the audio book version of it. Now, I read a ton of books, as do you, and a ton of these kinds of rock biographies or autobiographies. This is not one of those. No. And I think some people were disappointed by it. Some people loved it, though. And I'm in that category. I loved this book. Like, I would give it a 10 out of 10. I'll definitely listen to it again. I think it probably made a huge difference that Flea read the book. All the emotion comes out in his voice when he's talking about, you know, there's a lot of really emotional things in here. And the book yeah. is only, like, it. there's glimpses of Red Hot Chili Peppers stuff. There's glimpses of, like, acting in suburbia, for example. But the book essentially ends with after the first Red Hot Chili Peppers gig. Or they weren't even called the Chili Peppers yet. But it's just... And it like he wrote the book himself. There's no ghostwriter. A lot of it is like a love letter to jazz. It's His writing is really good. Like a lot of it is almost like poetry. And I just really liked it. I, I will definitely listen to it again. And a lot of podcasts uh, have... Audible as sponsors. We're not one of those sponsors <laughs> or we're not one of those podcasts. So this is not a pitch to, I'm not going to tell you if you go to audible.com right now and enter the promo code Mojack pod, you'll get 10% off your first purchase. 
<laughs> yeah, right. But what I will say is I I would recommend the audiobook version for sure. Yeah, having read the the actual old school paper one, I think I think something was missing reading it after hearing how pumped you were about the book. I texted you and I said, "Eh, I was kind of like medium on it. Medium excited after reading it. It didn't really do a ton for me, but I completely agree like when you were mentioned that you were listening to the audiobook I can totally see how and knowing what Flea sounds like the way that he speaks which is very very passionate very energetic a lot of the stuff in the book would come over um, much more impactfully for sure I oh, would yeah. say oh you can hear him crying when he's telling some of these stories and I mean like uh I don't know. I just really liked it. I'm, I was glad it wasn't your standard. I mean, there's a lot of drug taking and stuff in it, but it wasn't like a, a tell all rock book. And I liked that about it. Sounds like that's coming. Like there is a part two. I don't know about the version that you read, but in the audio book, he ends it by going, you know, talking about what, what's coming next. So there is going to yep. be the, the chili pepper years. And I'll definitely yeah. pick that up. Uh, you know, you're a way big... You've stuck with the Chili Peppers. I stopped listening to them after Blood Sugar Sex Magic. They just fell off my radar. Other than the hits on the radio, I haven't heard any of the albums that came out after that. Mm. But I but I was rocking to Mother's Milk this week. Oh, yeah. There's some classics on there. Frusciante's back in the band, hey? Yeah, I saw that. Every 10 years, he comes back, hey? Yeah. That's all I have, Ryan. What do you have? Okay, I'll... Uh... I'm going to start with something that's SST adjacent, go a little left field, and then I'm going to bring it back to some crazy backwards alphabet. So, so hang in there. Ooh, a tie-in. Tie-in. Here it comes. So um, SST adjacent, my first spiel, is this new Urinals LP that came out. It's live, Pin the Needles, live at George's Santa Barbara, November 1979. It looks like it's a, a co-release on Happy Squid Records in Har Harbinger Sound. It's like 25, 27 songs on here. And it sounds pretty rough, but it's so urinals. It's great. And they do like a cover of a last song and, and an ultra-fast version of Surfing with the Shaw, which is a classic urinals tune. So I'd recommend checking that out if you're a urinals fan. It's, again, like... It's rough sounding, but it's really early and it's good. 40 years old, man. Yeah, Ish. no doubt. Ish. Um, the next one is a, it's a recommend. I've recommended these guys before to you. I don't know whether you've actually checked them out. You might just be paying me some lip service, but you should, uh, you should check out this band, Savic, not Sarek, Savic. They've got um, a new 12 inch called the Mirror Maker EP and it's killer. It's guys from the Obits, Edsel, Nation right. of Ulysses. I mean, the pedigree in the band is uh, is really good, and the tunes are good. All their LPs and singles are good. I really like them. And then here comes the Crazy Backwards Alphabet tie-in brand. Okay. It's a bit of a loose tie-in, though, so bear with me. A number of episodes ago, I recounted how I went to go see Dweezil Zappa play the 40th anniversary of the album Hot Rats. Right. And... Last week, when we were done recording the show, I said, when we were, when you and I were kind of signing off afterwards, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go listen to my new Hot Rats box set. 
which has is an eight CD collection of the Hot Rats sessions. Little did I know when I cracked the cellophane on this thing that I would have a fun activity for you and I to do when you visit me next time uh, for the next record fair coming up. Okay. Inside the box set is uh, a game called the Zappa Land. And the objective of the game is Frank needs to get to the studio. The first player to get him there wins the game. So it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> the, uh, the game pieces are guitar picks, with one uh, emblazoned with a cigarette pack, high heel shoes, the, the Zappa moustache. And then the, the coolest part that I love is it comes with like a legit fold-out like board game board. And uh, some of the stops on here as Frank starts in Laurel Canyon and finds his way to the studio are as follows. He stops off at Green Jeans Guitars at the Gumbo Variations Cafe, Willie's Corner. That's Willie the Pimp, of course. Of course. There's a section where you may um, pick up a floozy. Um, there's also a mustache trim station. You, there's also a smoke break section. Right. There's a, there's a part where you get attacked by hot rats. There's a hot guitar solo section on the board, which I thought you'd quite like. There's also a section where you kind of like, you know, on Snakes and Ladders, you go up the ladder and down the snake. Yeah. On this one, you go back, but it's called the backwards camel ride. Okay. And uh, eventually you find your way to the studio here. So... We've got a fun activity next time you're in town. Can't wait. We can listen to all eight Hot Rats CDs while playing <laughs> the Zappaland board game. And uh, But the tie-in, of course, is because uh, Drumbo was on this crazy backwards alphabet, which um, is a B-fart tie-in, which is a Zappa tie-in. So there. But, awesome, um, man. I will, I will plug, um, just when you thought you couldn't get enough Hot Rats... There's eight CDs and it's crazy. Just the uh, the musicianship again is insane. So, hey Ryan, yo, do you want to get into Crazy Backwards Alphabet? Yeah, I'm dying for some lobster on the rocks. <laughs> History lesson part one. Why don't we kick it over to uh, Andy West and then we'll come back with some some more history lesson stuff. Right on. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Andy West. Andy, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Happy to be here and talk about Crazy Backwards Alphabet. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I don't even know where to start with this <laughs> record. It's uh, it's such an interesting one. Why don't we talk about you? You formed the band Dixie Dregs. Take us back to kind of the start of your musical career. Well, sure. Um, I mean, this is ancient history now, but uh, I met Steve Morris in high school in Augusta, Georgia. Good grief. It's been like 50 years ago now. <laughs> and uh, so we were just a couple of kids in high school and started this band and we kept it up through our 20s and, and did um, six albums together at that time, which was kind of a, um, you know, for people that don't know, it was sort of a a weird amalgam of, of musical styles. Um, 
the band was called the Dixie Dregs, which was kind of a joke name for us. We we lived in the South, but none of us were actually from there. And, um, you know, we were more derivative of Ma Vishnu Orchestra than the Allman Brothers, but we had all those influences in our music. And uh, that was my main thing for many years. That version of the band broke up around 1983-84, and I personally started getting into software development, had kind of a career change, but always kept my musical, um, you know, interest in things going. And I did a whole bunch of albums. This was back in the day when albums kind of mattered, <laughs> you know, right. CDs had just coming out. And, you know, there was still a lot of uh, kind of gatekeeping to um, to being in the, in the music business. But around 85 or so, I met uh, Henry Kaiser. I'm, I had moved to the Bay Area and was introduced to him by a friend of mine. And Henry is just a, a phenomenal person, musician, um, someone I learned a tremendous amount of, of uh, from, really, about music and ways to approach things and, and things like this. And this whole thing with, with Crazy Backwards Alphabet on SST was just... It was really his idea, and somehow he had, he's done this a lot in, in the 30-plus years that I've known him, where he'll just sort of pick people and say, well, this could be an interesting combination. And so, for example, uh, John French, who was Drumbo, a.k.a. Drumbo, who's right. uh, you know from the Captain Beefheart band, he knew John, and he knew this drummer named Michael Maximenko from... Sweden and both those guys were big Beefheart fans and of course I'd never heard I mean I knew who Captain Beefheart was but I didn't really get into it you know it sounded to me like uh, um, you know from my fusion brain it sounded more like uh, a blues you know craziness right. kind of band yeah. <laughs> uh, on deeper inspection I, I, I realized there was a lot going on there and Henry really introduced me to that and so that was that was kind of a lot of the, the, the sort of influence in doing this album was to bring that kind of mix together. And, um, you know, it was great. I mean, this is a very unusual album. And I don't know how it got on SST. I was always kind of proud of the fact that I had done an album on SST because it was such an eclectic label and, right. and so, so not about rock fusion like like the kind of thing i'd always been into around the time this album came out they really started you know courting a lot of of musicians like henry kaiser right there was there was definitely a, a more exploratory side to the label that that kind of started to gr grow around that time yeah. you know so that that's really how this whole thing together henry said hey let's do this album and um, I, I know this guy and this guy, Michael Maximenko, he's going to be over here from Sweden and we could get together. And, and it's like, OK, great. And that's when I met John and, and we all just got together and we played together for about, I think, maybe three days in the studio, just jamming, you know, doing these different songs. Henry had picked out some songs. You know, there's <laughs> there's an awesome version of Lagrange on their song mm -hmm. in Russian by you know the the drummer Maximenko, and so it's it's just a very very weird album. I don't I don't know if you get to play any of it on your podcast, but uh, I think it's probably out there on YouTube somewhere. It is, yeah. We don't play it on the show, but if anybody hasn't heard it, they definitely need to check that out. 
So, Michael. Yeah, and you know what's funny is um, another person who I met who's been a great influence on me and, and someone I really respect and have had a, a great deal of musical interaction with is is Mike Keneally, who was um, just an amazing musician, great guitar player. His, his original, when he was very young, he joined Frank Zappa's last band, mm-hmm. last touring band. So he, he's one of these guys that can literally play anything. But when I met him at the NAMM show, I think in like 94, he came up to me and said, oh, yeah. He didn't mention the dregs. Of course, he knew <laughs> who the dregs were, but he said, I heard that album you did with Henry, Crazy Backwards Alphabet. That's such a great album. And, of course, he totally endeared me to him because he's the only person who ever did that for, you know, to me. <laughs> People don't reference this album very often when they're talking to you? Not really. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit obscure, you yeah. know. Um, there, are, there are certainly many people that do know about it. But it's not, it, it's, it's approachable if you have a very open mind and are not expecting anything in particular. Yeah. I think Henry definitely, you can tell, acted as a producer in a, a lot of these projects that he worked on and was really good at corralling people. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. I mean, um, he is like um, the supreme musicologist to me. I, I remember when I lived in the Bay Area, I used to just, you know, periodically go over to his house every couple of months and just say, okay, what do you have? And, he, and he'd, he'd like play 10 things that I just never heard that were all incredible and unique in different ways. So, yeah, I, I was looking at the CD version of this week of, of this album this week and it, on the liner notes, it kind of advertises this Henry Kaiser instructional video, eclectic electric, which I, I think it also says you play on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John French and and myself and Henry, um, we did that. And I don't know if that's available on YouTube either, but that's a really, really interesting piece. And and there's some there's some actually great music and performances that we did in that um, that video. But that's again another you know sort of in the dustbin of history right. and cool that happened. You know, what, is there stuff from this album on that video? Yeah, definitely. We played, uh, there's a song called Drop D, which is written by a friend of Henry's um, named Bob Adams, who's just, you know, a longtime friend of his from, from many, many years ago. But this this song was just crazy. I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it's it's very interesting. But, but for me, I guess the main thing that came out of this was a, an expansion of my concept of rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I was so, so... Um, imbued with all the fusion stuff and the precision of of fusion at that time and the kind of things that we had been doing in the dregs and i'd been listening to and this really kind of stretched it way out so it's pretty cool yeah you said michael was visiting or he was in the bay area was he doing some performing yeah so he he lives in sweden and um in stockholm i believe and uh, I, I think what happened was Henry, Sweden has some kind of weird arrangement with different kinds of artists. I mean, Michael had a radio show and he was essentially a musician and a journalist. And I think those activities at that time, maybe they still are, were somewhat subsidized by the Swedish government. Oh, yeah. And if you were going to go play on an, uh, an album that was 
you know, outside of Sweden. They considered that sort of like diplomatic work or something. So I think he may have gotten to Sweden, you know, the government to pay for his trip over here to do this album. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's just a really, really great guy and, and really fun. And it was, it was uh, a blast doing this album. Now, what do you know about the Matt Groening connection? Because this album's pretty well known uh, for the cover art and his kind of association with it. Yeah, it's it's incredible, isn't it? Um, this was, Henry it, again. He's one of these kind of people that's just a connector. He was really a fan of the. Um, I forget what the strip was that Graining did in in the L.A. Weekly and. Um, Is it Life and Hell? Life is Hell. Yeah, yeah. He was a real fan of that Life is Hell, and somehow he had met Matt. This is all pre-Simpsons, you know, right. um, and called him up and said, hey, I got this album we're doing. Would you want to do a cover? And he said, sure. <laughs> did he, so, did he know, name the band? And, no, you know, I can't remember how how that came about. I think um, I think Henry came up with it somewhere. Okay. Now, how about the writing process? You said that you guys jammed for about three days in the studio prior to this. Some of the tracks are credited to like all four of the players would that have been stuff that you kind of just jammed in the studio and came up with together exactly and um that's another thing that henry's really great at doing is basically you know when when musicians like this get together and improvise it's not all great but you know we're always having a really cool time and there you know things will just happen yeah (laughs) and so um you know, he, he was just really good at being able to sort of pick things out and sort of turn them into what would sound like songs with maybe a few small overdubs and stuff. Okay. And it looks like John brought some stuff maybe with him, as well as Michael brought some tracks with him that they, they had written. Yeah, yeah. Real, definitely. And um, actually, John had, uh, I mean, he was, he's really prolific and... But shortly after that, he did a solo album, which I thought was really cool, and I got to play on about half the tracks of it. So he was always writing. Albert Eiler gets covered. He's a name that we've heard a lot recently. We just did our episode on Universal Congress of, and they were definitely influenced by him as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was another. Well, that's an example of someone I had never heard of. And uh, Henry played this stuff. I think the track we did was called Ghosts. Yep. And um, that was just like, you know, he was just like, listen to this. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. All right, we can try that. And a few other people pl- played on the album as well. Scott Colby, Daryl Anger. I'm assuming these are people that Henry wrangled in. Yeah, yeah. So Scott is um, another friend of Henry's who's just a really great blues slide player. And, and um, he actually did a instructional video and an album of his own too but he, he's um you know like many of us had kind of a dual career thing going on because music doesn't always pay right. the bills but but he um so he played slide on a couple things he played on that 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 tune i mentioned and daryl i can't remember which thing he played on but daryl is a violinist who um oh, what is the band that he was he's in this like famous bluegrass quartet uh i think he played with david grisman okay you know he's just like a um <laughs> you know one of these monster players from the bay area who you know pops up here and there through time and 
just plays great stuff. I can't remember the track he played on. I'd have to go back and listen to this album. I haven't heard it in a while. But Harry Duncan? I don't even know who that is. He plays harmonica on the track Bottoms Up. Yeah, so that must have been a friend of Henry's, and he just came in afterwards. I see. Because okay. um, I don't remember that. Yeah. About the recording sessions, then, do you remember, like, where was this recorded? There's several engineers listed for the sessions. Uh, does it name the studio? Because, I mean, I have a vision in my head of it. I don't see it, but we've got Mark Brian Johnson, Oliver DeCicero, and Phil Brown, and also Henry listed as engineers. Right, and I think Oliver is someone who worked with Henry quite a bit. Um, you know, again, this was recorded in the time when there were real recording studios with people that had real jobs working in them, you right. know. <laughs> so you would have, okay, the engineer for today is Joe, you know, kind of thing. Right. You know, now it's a, the studio world's a whole different kind of animal. I mean, I do almost everything on my own at my computer, you know, um, unless we're doing a live thing like we did recently. So those guys all certainly did the work. And uh, I think it's, you know, <laughs> I'm glad you're doing this podcast <laughs> on it. I mean, I again, I have no idea how many people will, will pick up on this, but you never know. And and it's it's kind of cool when people can discover another dimension, if you will, of, you know, reality that they just didn't know about and this is certainly one of them well i feel like this album's probably a little more famous f for the fact that it's on sst and that it exists at all <laughs> you know what i mean like it's such a it's such a wild concept yeah you know i and and it's funny because i have no idea what happens with this stuff after the fact i mean somehow i got a seat i have a i have a vinyl right yeah. i have it on my wall um, I don't have any way to play it, but I also have a CD. I think I got on eBay once many, many years ago. And, you know, so it's a, it's a question to me who even has this stuff now and, you know, <laughs> what happens to it. I mean, it's it's crazy. And you recorded a second album in 1988. That's right. Well, that that was more takes from the same session. Ah, okay. Yeah, and Henry put that together and said, you know, there's a whole other album here. Okay. He pulled that whole thing together. And we're going to see you again here on our podcast in about 90 episodes on Henry's Those Who Know History Are Doomed to Repeat It. Oh, cool. I'd be remiss if I didn't Well, how many albums does SST have? I mean, this is quite an archival project of Hundreds. <laughs> Hundreds really? of albums, yeah. <laughs> I think we calculated at one point if we did an episode a week... It would take us eight years to get through the entire. Oh my goodness! The entire thing. <laughs> well, are, are you are you literally going zero to hundreds, we or are, are you yeah. are you? We've been at it for are. a couple of years now, so. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. I, c congratulations on having a life's work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, hey, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about an album that I really like, the one you did with Vinnie Moore, Mind's Eye. What a band. Uh, Tony oh, McAlpine yeah, on keyboards. Uh, that was right after the dregs broke up, and um, that was Mike Varney and Shrapnel, and he had, right. you know, this was the time when he was discovering all these amazing guitar players, uh, you know, Greg Howe, Tony McAlpine, and he, he put... Uh, you know, this this group together with me and Tony McAlpine and Tommy Aldridge and Vinny, and 
you know, Vinny is, I, I mean, it's funny because he's someone who I have stayed in touch with. I saw him play here in Phoenix oh, yeah. last year or something. And I actually, we actually saw him when we were on the Dregs tour too. I think he came out in New Jersey or somewhere. You know, he's just a, another one of these guitar gods that at the time when he was really young, I remember thinking, God, this, this kid is unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and that was, uh, again, my uh, kind of exposure to a whole sort of style of music I wasn't really familiar with. But my picking and my bass playing, I, th- I thought, really fit well in that album. Yeah. And so um, so that was kind of fun. And he's, you know, he's had a, a career his whole life, and he still is an incredible musician. And, yeah. you know, it's fun. Were you always playing a six-string bass around this era? I actually started playing six string like 85 or something, but I didn't really use it on albums until I did crazy backwards alphabet on the six string. Okay. Vinny's album. I did all on my Olympic, I think the Olympic or the Steinberger even. And, uh, so that was just four strings, but yeah, I kind of went from four to six right around that time. This guy named Jeff Gould, who was the founder of modulus graphite guitars and basses. Right. Yep. The guy who introduced me to Henry, actually, I was at Jeff's shop downtown San Francisco, and Henry came in, and Jeff's like, "Oh, you should, you should, you guys should know each other," you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and um, it, Henry's definitely a gear, a gear guy, hey. Oh yeah, I mean his <laughs> uh, his pedal collection is ever evolving, and it, and it's like a yeah. We did an album recently with um, this guy named Anthony Prague. And yeah, I was going to ask about it. Five Time Surprise, it is an amazing album. Oh, thank you. I love that album, too. I, I mean, that was a, just a really... I mean, what a what a cast of musicians. Um, you know, Tracy Silverman, Jeff Sipe on drums, who's one of my favorite drummers ever. You know, just to be able to play that. But, but what was amazing was the studio floor. There's a picture of it somewhere. I, I it, But... The studio floor and the pedals that covered the floor were just beyond belief. <laughs> Between these guys, they're they're total pedal heads. Will that project be playing any shows? Have you played shows? God, you know, we we all talked about it because it was so much fun and it would be so cool to play live. But um, you know, everyone is in a different part of the country. It would take a magical event no for kidding. the money to get together just for us to even do it for nothing you know um i mean i live in phoenix henry's in the bay area jeff is in Asheville, north carolina tracy's in nashville anthony's in baltimore so you know it's i i I don't know i mean it's one of these things where i feel like if people heard it and there have been actually that album has sold pretty well and gotten some recognition which is surprising and also cool yeah but, you know, to get it off the ground as a project that people would come out and hear is just another level. What else should people check out that you've been doing? I know you've played with Henry a bunch with the, the project The Mistakes. What else are you super, super happy about that, that you want to point people to? Well, yeah. So, um, actually, if you go to my website, which is andywest.com, I don't update it very often. But when I do have something, I usually put it up there. And... Um, you know, I have a Bandcamp link there with some stuff I've been doing. It's very um, something that I really enjoy doing is is working kind of like on compositions and just working with one or two people. So I have a friend 
named Craig Pallett who lives in Vermont, and, and we've been passing songs back and forth, and it's very, um, like, organic, synthetic music, if that makes any sense, because it's all sequenced in a computer, and we use synthesizers and, and stuff, but, but I play live, you know, all over this stuff. It's pretty neat, and um, that we did an album, we call it Zen Walk, it's like an EP, really, five five tunes and i'd love for you to check it out and and for people to hear that but yeah it's just kind of like whatever sort of comes up okay um i hope i can do a project with mike keneally again um mike was part of that mistakes thing and he and i have done some live things off and on and and we did a a show last year with a with a drummer who i discovered on youtube <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know like it was just this weird fluke of a thing actually i i thought maybe we could get jeff Sype to do it but he was he was booked on that day and this was like a one-off gig in north carolina okay and um found this guy on youtube and and just took a chance and he was incredible he learned all mike's stuff i mean it's very complicated music that keneally writes so pretty cool Andy, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Sure. No, I'm happy to do it, and I'm I'm thrilled that you're doing this project and that you have, um, you know, spotted this and identified <laughs> it as an area of interest and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Really cool to have him on. I was saying to Brant that that might actually be one of the most famous people we've ever had on the show, given he was in Dixie Dregs all those years. Yeah, for sure. Hell of a bass player, uh, too. Yeah. I, I I will admit, like, I'm a four-string snob. I always am kind of like, eh, who needs a fifth or a sixth string? But there are some moments on this record where he definitely uses the, uh, you know, the fifth and sixth to some really really cool effect um i mean i i i've been a four string snob forever but there's some good stuff on here man that guy can play okay so i kind of just came up with short history lessons on the main dudes in this band like the people whose names are on the cover you know some of the stuff i a few of the spiels some of it i got off of that guy mike keneally's website because he has a bio on there for his project, The Mistakes, that has Andy West and Henry Kaiser in it. Speaking of Zappa, Mike Keneally played with him. I'll get to that in a little bit. Okay, here's Henry. Henry Kaiser. Uh, experimental guitarist extraordinaire. He of the countless solo releases and stimulating collaborations with such innovators as Richard Thompson, Fred Frith, Derek Bailey, Herbie Hancock... Michael Stipe, etc., etc., etc. Most recently celebrated for his tremendously successful musical journey to Madagascar and Norway with fellow traveler David Lindley, and for the sparkling albums which resulted. He continues to stretch the boundaries of what, of what electric guitar means. That's from Mike Keneally's website. Here's some more stuff that I dug up on my own. Henry is a fixture on the San Francisco Bay Area music scene. His first album is 1977's Ice Death. He founded the lab label Meta Language in 1978 with Larry Ox, and in short order started collaborating with a who's who of the avant-garde. He scored films and TV shows and appeared on over 300 albums. 
We'll be seeing him again on his SST albums Devil in the Drain, 118, 147, with enemies like these, Who Needs Friends, which is a collaboration with Fred Frith, 198, the Henry Kaiser album Those Who Know History Are Doomed to Repeat It, SST 222, Remarrying for Money, and we've actually seen Henry a few times on 102, the No Age Comp, and we yep. first encountered him on 077, Zug's Rift Island of Living Puke. And honestly, he's had such an insane musical career that someone could do a whole podcast just about him. This little bio I came up with is, is very brief. Okay, here's again from Mike Keneally, doc, or sorry, it's just Keneally com about Andy West, original bassist for the Dixie Dregs, who left many a concert goer's jaw slackened during their early tours. West played on all the classic Dregs albums, four of which were nominated for Grammys. Yeah. And here's a little thing that I came up with. Just look at the guitarists he's played with, Ryan. Steve Morris, obviously in Dixie Dregs. Steve went on to replace Richie Blackmore in Deep Purple in 1994, and he's still with them today. Henry Kaiser, of course. Mike Keneally, who he played with in that band, The Mistakes, that I mentioned. Uh, Mike played with Frank Zappa on the albums The Best Band You Never Heard in Your Life, Make a Jazz Noise Here, Broadway the Hard Way, and he also played with Dweezil and Amit Zappa in the band Z. Yeah. Vinnie Moore. We talk about this Vinnie Moore album right here, which I'm sure you've never heard, Ryan, but it's awesome. <laughs> this one. Mind's oh, Eye. Little Faith. You heard it? No. Yeah. It's no, awesome. But I, but, I, but I own every Z album. <laughs> well, Especially I, the, sh- the Shampoo Horn album is, is just rad. Okay, well this Vinnie, Vinnie Moore album, Mind's Eye, is just awesome. Vinnie's a like a virtuoso genius. He first played with Alice Cooper. He's been the guitarist in UFO since 2003. And he released this classic Shred album in 1986 with Andy called Mind's Eye. Andy also plays played in a band project called Rama with Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater and Mike Keneally. You know, like all of these dudes, he's super prolific. Oh, yeah. Michael Maximenko. In the late 1970s, Swedish drummer Michael Maximenko founded the spastic rock trio Krald Jersen Talken that released an EP in 1980 and the album Voodoo Boogie in 1981. Several of the songs sound like a prog rock version of Captain Beefheart's demented blues rock or like supersonic post-Hendrix jams. Maximenko recorded one solo album, Nukan Datsagas in 1985 of surreal rock and roll and then retired from popular music in 1991. He's worked as a TV producer in Sweden and he was apparently quite the hockey player over in Sweden until an accident derailed his career. Hmm. And then of course you mentioned John French aka Drumbo who does have a, a book about his time in Captain Beefheart, Through the Eyes of Magic, it's called. Yeah. Born in the San Bernardino area of Southern California, French's family moved west 
to where he grew up in the desert town of Lancaster, hometown of two young artists who would have a profound effect on his subsequent career as a drummer, Frank Zappa and Don Van Vliet, who is Captain Beefheart. He had a pretty turbulent career in Beefheart's, Beefheart's band. It sounds like Captain Beefheart could be a pretty difficult guy at times. Oh, yeah. But he played on some pretty famous albums. Safe as Melt, Strictly Personal, Mirror Man, Trout Mask Replica, uh, Lick My Deckles Off Baby, The Spotlight Kid, Bat Chain Polar, Dock at the Radar Station, pretty much every well-known Beefheart album he was involved in. Yeah, and I mean, Trout Mask Replica, Lick My Deckles Off Baby, those two, he's on both of those. And those are some of the most well-regarded and at the same time impenetrable Beefheart albums of all time. And John French was like the musical director too for a number of, number of years. So to be able to harness all that craziness and to actually like organize the band around that, and we'll get to it when we get to the tracks, but whenever John is playing, you can tell it's him for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's definitely more than just a drummer. Uh, he also played with Henry Kaiser in French, Frith, Kaiser, and Thompson. That's Fred Frith and Richard Thompson. And they did a few albums. Again, he's very prolific. He's got albums under his own name. And there's other dudes on this record, and we'll get to them. I've got some stuff about them, but we'll do that when we go through the tracks. Uh, here's a thing I found about the recording session. Some of this is from, well, this is all from John's book. We recorded a strange little studio in the San Fernando Valley called Love Productions. Henry had us lay the tracks down and then flew me up to San Francisco to coach him with his parts. We went to Mobius Studios in San Francisco, owned and operated by a great engineer named Oliver DeSisso. Oliver had built his studio himself, everything was immaculate, and there was a place for everything that gave it an overall sense of total order. It was interesting to note that Henry could play all the parts perfectly, but in the same way as Winged Eel, his first inspiration on guitar, he had a hard time finding where his part fit in relationship to the other parts. Mm. So I stood face to face with him in the control booth. I would sing and direct the part and he would follow me, barely ever, ever looking at his guitar and playing the part perfectly. We did one section at a time using two tracks, stair-stepped, and mixing them as one. Here's a couple reviews I found of the album. Here's, uh, again, Robert Christigau. He gave it a B. Though Beefheart, French, Frith, Kaiser, Thompson, drummer, French, John French, Dixie Dregs bassist Andy West, and hockey-mad Swedish avant-rocker Michael Maximenko get equal billing, this is Henry Kaiser's pickup project. You can tell because he's on every cut. Concept is Beefheart as Dixie Dregs, kind of, with intermittent lyrics not always in English. You'll go for Maximenko singing ZZ Top in Russian, and Kaiser West, Maximenko rocking Albert Eiler. Both covers, you notice. I never did get Dixie Dregs. Are you a Dixie Dregs fan? I suspect you might be. Yeah, I like them. I never really got into them. Yeah. Uh, Miles Boysen in All Music, he gave it a three and a half out of five. Heavy chops and creativity from this expansive supergroup with Henry Kaiser. Maybe let's go through the tracks, Ryan. Sure, man. History Lesson, Part 2. 
Yeah, this song, uh, it uh, for me, it's just so obvious that it's it's Drumbo on the drums, and this is one of those songs where the lower register on the bass is really used to good effect, but it's not Andy, yeah. it's Bob. Okay, so this song, The Blood and the Ink, uh, Bob and Henry were in a band called Name prior to Crazy Backwards Al- Alphabet. They self-released a 12-inch EP in 1981 and a full-length in 1985 called 164 on this label, Spooky Pooch Records. And <laughs> the guy Everett Shock was also in name. And he has an album on SST called Ghost Boys, which is SST 182. Uh, there's a song on there called Rabbit Crab Baby on that Ghost Boys LP, which we'll be getting to. And it's the same tune as this, as The Blood and the Ink, but it has different lyrics. No way. Yeah. Uh, this is from Henry Kaiser. Bob comes from Garden Grove, California, and after Beefheart's 1968-72 to 72 Magic Band is the best writer for guitar parts that I know of. If I could be in a band with another guitarist for the rest of my life, it would be Bob. It's high praise. Yeah. John mentions him in his book, too. I met Henry's friend named Bob Adams and immediately liked him and the really great music he had written. He was a fan of Little Feet, so his music all had slide guitar with amazing phrasing. I wrote lyrics to one called The Blood and the Ink. The thing I liked about this, and John French sings this one as well, and he's a, actually a really good singer. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I really liked like the interplay between the bass and the guitar. This one has Henry playing slide, or maybe it's Bob because he played guitar on this too. It's just a great opener with good lyrics, great vocals. Yeah, it definitely hooks you in right away. That yeah. lyric, I recognize your tattoo. Yeah. It's good. Okay, the second track. Det Enda Raka, written by Michael Maximenko. Uh, this one has Michael on vocals and drums. No John French on this one. Uh, the vocals, I think, are probably in Swedish. For me, when the song kicks in and Henry starts playing the lead pattern, it kind of reminded me of D. Boone a little bit. That might that might be more down to tone, though. I'm not sure. Hmm. Uh, again, just next-level musicianship. Track three, Get To You, written by John French. This one's got John French on drums and vocals, guitar and harmonica. And it's also got Scott D. of Colby on slide guitar. Yeah. Scott, we've we've seen a few times already. He also has an album on SST. Pretty sure he moved to L.A. with Zoog's Rift from New Jersey. Yeah, this is definitely a bluesy number with the harmonica and everything. This one, to me, sounds like something you'd hear on classic rock radio by, like, Steve Winwood or something. <laughs> like, John's a really good singer, and, uh, you know, it's definitely the most mainstream, like, accessible track on the record. And uh, I really dig the end when Scott and Henry are trading licks. Yeah. Track four, The Welfare Elite, Kaiser in French. Henry plays some banjo on this one. It's very subtle, though. It's got John on drums. Lots of awesome twists and turns on this one. It's, it's an instrumental. Uh, the part where Andy and Henry double each other uh, kind of on this descending run is really impressive. Uh, Daryl Anger on violin. According to Discogs, he was a fiddler 
composer, producer, and associate prof at the Berklee School of Music. He's also got quite a few albums under his own name and some collaborations as well. Yeah, Andy definitely gets some on this track. Yep. Track five, Ghosts, is a cover by uh, of an Albert Eiler song. Uh, Michael, Andy, and Henry on this one. Albert was a sax player, so obviously the main riffs are played by Henry on a guitar and not a saxophone. The backing rhythm is way more cha- chaotic on this one than on the uh, the original version. I dig Andy's lead bass, like his distorted bass. Yeah. Yeah. There's great footage on YouTube of Henry, Andy, and Michael doing this one live. Okay, track six, Lobster on the Rocks. This is written by the whole group. And uh, another guy named Erling Wold. I found a thing about Erling Wold in the Village Voice where they called him the Eric Satie of Berkeley Surrealist minimal, Minimalist Electro Avant Rock. Erling also has albums under his own name on that Spooky Pooch label that I was talking about earlier. Right. And he was also in that band name. Uh, this one gets its title because at the end, so it's got Michael Maximenko kind of spieling in Swedish, and then Henry translates it. Like at the end, somebody says, I bet you can't, I'll bet you a cup of coffee you can't translate that, Henry, or something. And he just goes into this crazy spiel, which I don't think is what Michael Maximenko actually said. No, I doubt it. And then someone goes, I don't believe it. He did it. I owe you a cup of coffee. And Henry goes, I don't drink coffee. Never had a cup in my life. And uh, the other guy goes, okay, I'll give you lobster on the rocks. If you listen to the Crazy Backwards 2 record, uh, Michael Maximenko sings a bunch on that. And I think... I think it's him singing, but it's in English. So I don't think he sings in English on this record. Yeah, I don't think so either. Even the tracks on side two, he's Swedish, I think, or something. Russian. There is a promo single that came out for this, and this track is on the B-side. Now, on Discogs, that single is listed under Henry's label, Meta Language. The uh, logo on the the LP label, or the 7-inch label, is food giant and s it has an sst stamp with the address like p.o box one lawndale on the back of the sleeve yep the cover to me of the single looks like a lino cut of like a some russian propaganda yeah does yours have the insert in it mine does and it has like it has an sst insert hey yeah hit me with a spiel on on this track lobster on the rocks all it says here is the flip side, Lobster on the Rocks, is sung by Massimenko's native Swedish with Kaiser repeating the story in English. That's all it says here. Hmm. There's a big spiel on it, though. It says this is an advanced single from the debut LP from Crazy Backwards Alphabet, which formed in February 1986 when it performed at the Frankfurt International Jazz Festival in Germany. And then it gives a, a bit of a spiel on each of the guys, talks about who... Henry has played with Massimenko, Andy West, and then it says also features the drummer John French, known as Drumbo, and it says the band's version of ZZ Top's Lagrange, sung in Russian, yep. should be the antidote to the overt nationalistic tone of the upcoming TV movie America, We Can Rock Together, it says. Okay. 
but it's a weird little like SST related release that's not on SST, hey? Yeah, Food Giant. It is, yep. No dead wax on it, but it comes with an SST stamp and an SST insert. Yeah. Okay, we're going to flip the LP over. And what's the first song on side two, Ryan? Uh, Sarayushka or Lagrange. Yeah, I just wanted to hear you say that. I didn't want to try and say it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. This one's got John on drums, Michael uh, on vocals in Russian. And this is the A side of the single we just mentioned. It's a bit of a novelty that kind of wears off with repeat listens for me. But I think it's kind of, other than the cover art, which we'll get to in a bit, one of the things this record's known for, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Track two was one of my faves, Dropped D, written by West, Adams, Kaiser, and Maximenko. It's eight minutes of sheer insanity. It's a pretty crazy instrumental. There's some great footage from that eclectic electric instructional video of Henry Kaiser's it's all up on YouTube I found it it took a little digging but it's got these dudes playing this and it says in the intro to the video it says exploring new approaches to guitar and improvisation it's got Henry going through his effects rack which is just awesome I loved in the interview when uh, Andy West was talking about playing with uh, five times surprise yeah, right. And there was just, you couldn't even see the floor. Uh, there's some great stuff on there with Scott Colby, too, who apparently has his own instructional video. Oh, really? Which I would love to see. And like I said, there's a killer version of this. It closes out the video. It's definitely in Drop D. Also, on the Crazy Backwards Alphabet 2 record, there's a pretty ripping take, kind of take off on this uh, track called Beneath the valley of the ultra dropped d <laughs> well this is definitely the opus on the album hey yeah it's a great one track three the book of joel written by adams and shock so everett shock is a vocalist and lyricist and a saxophonist seems to be a rather reclusive member of the bay area avant-garde scene i hope to learn more about him when we get to sst 182 the ghost boys album uh, that I already mentioned, which feature, features the band Name. Like I said, this is a Name tune, uh, which is on their first 12-inch EP. Okay. So that Everett Shock album we're going to get to, what I'm saying is basically a Name record. Because it's, all the, record. Same, it's okay. all the same guys. I got you. Rick Crawford, Mark Crawford, Bob Adams, Henry Kaiser, Lynn Murdoch, Erling Wold, and Everett Shock are all on that album. And there's also a version of this song on Henry's 1981 album called Aloha, which has Bob Adams on it again. It's got John French on it, Erling Wold, Scott Colby. They're all on that record. So lots of collaborations with these guys. This one has Scott Colby on vocals, Michael on drums. To me, this could have been a Zoog's Rift song. I I thought I have the exact same thing. I'm like, this is a Zoog's Rift song for sure. Exact same. Scott's definitely channeling his inner liquid Moamo on the vocals. <laughs> oh, for sure. Set down your chords and get with the program or else there won't be any more chords. <laughs> Some pretty wild effects on the vocals. I like this one too. Uh, track three, Bottoms Up, written by Maximenko. 
Harry Duncan on harp. This one's got Michael in Russian or Swedish vocals, I'm not sure which. Kind of a cool and funky tune. Track 5, We Are In Control, written by John French. It's got Andy, John on drums and keys. Uh, Henry playing slide. A cool off-kilter instro. The time signatures are all over the place. And then the final track is just, uh, it's called Moran 2, written by Maximenko, and it's just 25 seconds of chaos, basically. Yeah, I have I have written down noodling. Yeah. Okay, There. this was also released on cassette in 1987 and CD in 1992. It adds five extra tracks on the CD, 25 minutes of music. Uh, I'll just really quickly go through them for anybody who's interested. No doubt about it, I gotta get a new hat is four minutes of Henry kind of doing his thing. Just Henry. Uh, Secret of the Telegian, kind of an improvised jam with some keys on it uh, by Greg Goodman, a.k.a. Woody Woodman, another one of those dudes with just an insane discography. A Light Blue Moose, it's a seven-minute jam with Henry totally going off. Ralph Nygaard, uh, this Swedish guy, probably a Michael connection, I'm guessing, on MIDI wind controller bass. It's recorded live. None of these extra tracks are, I don't think, were done in the studio, like with this during these sessions. Uh, The Same Thing is a Willie Dixon cover, also live. It says on the back, live at Vancouver Jazz Festival, June 23rd, 1986. Uh, when they announce the song from the stage, they say Made Famous by Muddy Waters. This one has Bill Frizzle on guitar, another super prolific American jazz guitarist uh, with avant-garde leanings. And then the last track on the of the bonus tracks on the CD is called Her Magazine. Uh, and this one's got Michael again on vocals in, in Swedish. And as I mentioned, there's a second Crazy Backwards Alphabet album that's download only, and also six more tracks uh, from the session also ended up on John French's 1994 album Waiting on the Flame on Demon Records. That's how many, <laughs> how much stuff they recorded yeah, during these sessions. Insane. Yeah, almost three full albums worth. Yeah, they must have just been feeding off each other and just following Henry's direction and just like trying anything that you know that came to mind and making it work because they were such you know proficient musicians right they could figure something out and they were so uh creative and avant-garde anything was open yeah i'm gonna post a bunch of stuff from that henry kaiser video and i mean people are definitely have strong opinions on Henry Kaiser's guitar playing. Like, I love it. And there's nobody else that sounds like Henry Kaiser. That is for certain. It is one of a kind for sure. Yeah. You ever seen that that picture of him that's like, probably when you search him, it's the one that pops up the most. It's him with like this weirdly shaped guitar standing in a parka in Antarctica, I think. Yeah. Like, that kind of says it all, actually. Yeah, for sure. The cover art pretty famous done by Matt Groening did a little reading on Matt Groening I'm not a huge Simpsons guy no there's there's a Canadian connection 
I don't think I knew this. His dad, whose name was Homer, by the way, uh, was born in Maine Center, Saskatchewan. Where is that? I don't know. I think it was, I think <laughs> I clicked on that and there was like population nine. It probably doesn't exist anymore. It's in the Maine Center, of course. Yeah. Uh, Matt grew up in Portland. He moved to L.A. in 1977 at the age of 23 to become a writer. He worked at Hollywood record store Licorice Pizza. He had a self-published comic called Life in Hell, and it got picked up as a strip in the L.A. Reader. He also had a weekly music column called Sound Mix, but apparently was rarely actually about music. He would concoct fictional bands and review non-existent records. Here's what I got from Henry about Matt Groening. He has been one of my best friends since long before The Simpsons, and he is a giant Beefheart Magic Band fan. So yeah. it was natural to ask him to do the cover, which is really just a modified and pre-existing Life and Hell strip that predates The Simpsons by two years. Yeah, I like this album cover almost better than anything Simpsons. It's a great album cover for sure. And you can tell he drew it too. Oh yeah. What about uh, the back cover? There's a picture of of the guys looks like they're having a great time though which is cool because you can tell like they must have had just a ton of fun making this record oh yeah it's a wild ride it's interesting how andy was like i think he said like he has this record framed up on his wall right yeah but it's not it's not a record that people refer to that often when they're when they're talking with him obviously because I mean, it's really well-known for the artwork, and that's about it. I'm sure it's, you know, he's so well-known for the Dixie Dregs thing that... Oh, yeah. This is nothing. This isn't even a footnote for him, probably. Yeah. I think he's pretty proud of it, though, and he should be. It's a great, great album. Yeah. I'm glad, we got was... to, I'm glad we got to talk about it, and this is, to me, one of the coolest things about SST is they just did not give a shit, man. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, I'm not surprised at all. When I put this on, I was like, oh, yeah, this makes total sense on SST, especially after all that track has been laid by Zoogs. And, uh, and then with the No Age record, this actually, this is not what people think about. Most people think about when they think of SST, but it's what I think about now. Yeah, for sure. Ballot result? You know it. Ballot result. What'd you have? Uh, I kind of like the blood and the ink is so catchy, but it doesn't feature Andy on it. So I would actually, and you may already be leaning towards this as well, but I would almost go with drop D because it just has everything that is the crazy backwards alphabet. Yeah. I had the same thought. My, my two faves were the blood and the ink and drop D. So let's go with dropped D. Let's do it. Ryan, what's next week? Ooh, next week. I can't wait to get back into this band. It's SST 111, the Angst album, Mystery Spot, and it's a good one. Looking forward to it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. 
If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.